Empire. We are in the gambling information age. They see the role that quality content can play in terms of both acquiring new users, but retaining them and engaging them and getting them to continue betting. That's Harry Von Baer, U.S. CEO and Managing Director of Spotlight Sports Group, which is helping publishers grow audiences with trusted information on sports betting. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein. We've had a rinse-repeat cycle in the U.S. as jurisdictions change their laws on legal sports wagering. An area opens up, betting operators flock to acquire the customers, and then after a period of time, they're just trying to keep customers happy in a crowded space. Harry Von Baer and his team are in the middle of this, but they're helping publishers understand that information remains valuable even if customers switch betting loyalties. Our guest this week is Harry Von Baer, who's the Managing Director and the U.S. CEO of Spotlight Sports Group, which is working with publishers all across the United States and the globe, for that matter, in the brand new and toppling sports betting media consumption space. Hi, Harry. How are you? I'm very well, Brown. Yeah, uh, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to talking. Tell me a little bit about what your group does as you work with publishers around the globe. Yeah, of course. So, Spotlight Sports Group, as, as a business, has been around for over 30 years in various forms. We, we started as a publisher um, and own a number of our own um, consumer-facing brands. So in Europe, we, we own and operate Racing Post. In the US, we have uh, Pixwise. Um, but what we realized was that we um, have a lot of our own expertise and capabilities in taking very engaged sports audiences and turning them into betters and making them interested in sports betting. So what we've done over the last few years is work with um, partner publishers to do the same with their audiences. So take the great sports betting content we have, the products, the technology, and infuse that into their um, their platforms and serve up to their audiences so that they too can get involved in the, the growing sports betting space. Obviously, there's a lot changing here in the United States. It's going jurisdiction by jurisdiction. Um, can you talk about the landscape just in general of what you've seen over the last few years and how you anticipate it will continue to change? So it, it, It's been really interesting operating in the States, as you say, uh, post the repeal of PASPA. Um, as each state opens up, you get a mad rush from, um, from, from sports books and also from uh, local media to maximize the the opportunity whereas when we look at other territories we operate in 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 the more mature european markets as an example it's it's sort of an an evolution rather than the burst of growth that you see in the states so i suspect as um as we roll through this football season and and through 23 24 and 25 we'll still continue to to uh see sports books focus on new states coming live and and how they can make the most of um, of them. We've obviously got Ohio due to launch 1st of January, um, lots of lobbying around California um, for next year, and then large states like Texas and Florida beyond that. So um, it, the, the ability to get live quickly and, and maximize the opportunity 
um, will absolutely be at the the, the forefront of um, of sports books and, and media in, in the relevant stage. Um, in the area where I live, which is right outside of Washington, D.C., we, we've seen this cycle happen twice and it's about to happen again as Washington, D.C. legalized sports gambling. And Virginia came six to 12 months later, and then Maryland came, but the mobile aspect of it still hasn't happened yet. And I've seen this through linear media, that there is this gold rush to try to acquire customers. It's happened over and over. At some point, though, I imagine retention is going to matter as all the competition comes in. So could you talk about that cycle a little bit when you're messaging to fans that you're hoping will become betters? what the acquisition cycle is like, and then eventually, which I think is happening in Europe, what the retention model looks like. Yeah, it's, it's a great question. Um, it's something that we absolutely put at the front and center of what we do. Our, our business is built on um, creating really engaging content and products for better. So it's not about just signing up new accounts, sending them to bookmakers, and then never seeing them again. It's how you keep them coming back um, how they uh, they enjoy sport and the entertainment of sports through betting, and how you know they they watch games by sweating their bets. They compare it with um, with their friends, with their family, how the bets are going. Um, so it's all about a, a sort of a, a long customer relationship, um, and that comes down to having great quality content and also products that people use as part of the betting journey. Um, rather than just something they they can find a good um, offer to sign up or a promotion to sign up to the sports book and then never visit you again. So it's really important in the media space, especially that you're you're creating um, you're creating content, you're creating products that people want to come back to and use to inform their betting, rather than just um, you know sign up first time and then disappear. All right, so let me ask you about a couple of those things then. Um, what is compelling content? in the gambling space what do fans want i think there's a whole spectrum and it, it depends on who the better is as well um we've seen in in the states given the relative immaturity of the market and don't get me wrong you know many people were gambling before the repeal of pasta they just weren't gambling legally um or they were gambling you know in in the casinos in nevada um but what we've seen um, is the, the role that educational content plays is a lot more uh, valuable in the US than it than we have found in other more mature territories um, in, in, in bringing the broader population in and, and educating them about how to bet and why to bet and, and how to think about different edges they can get. And then um, we, we, we put data right at the heart of the content that we create. So, um, in in play um in play props and insights and and uh picks we serve up that, that are automated through the data um that we that we collect and ingest and um interrogate and then also you know from a pre-game perspective as well it's not just in play how can you use data that is readily available more so than ever has been before to inform betters of edges that they can find insights um both in terms of you know Team specific, but also player specific bets. Okay, and products. When you said products that we want to put out there into the marketplace that fans want, what are you referring to when you say that? So, if, if I take our own um, brands, if you take uh, Pixwise.com, the the website and the app, um, 
that that's a product that we put in users' hands that serves them up um, the relevant betting content to help inform and, and excite them so that they place you know new bets from a from a B two B perspective. You, you mentioned at the start the media customers and publishers that we work with. That's um, we provide free to play games engines. We provide um, modules that can be integrated into their websites that serve up the same uh, insights and uh, betting trends, but also give um, users and readers of the websites the ability to sign up with bookmakers. Um, so it's, it's, it depends whether it's our own, pro, uh, our own consumer brands or our B2B products, but ultimately it's all, um, you know, te tech led, um, integrations into, into websites, into apps and, and less so in the US at the moment, but very much so in, in mature markets like the UK, we also integrate directly into the bookmaker sports books. So we serve up, um, we serve up content, we serve up data into the websites and the apps, the front ends of the operators themselves that, that help to engage betters and, and, and stimulate betting. Yeah, I wanted to talk about the operators for a moment here, at least stateside. I'm sure it's been happening in Europe as well. But here stateside, uh, a number of the major operators have started their own pretty major content arms uh, where they're putting out their own content. They're hiring very famous broadcasters to be kind of the front face of some of these things like Caesars, BetMGM, et cetera. Um, are you working directly with them? And, and how do they kind of view doing content on their behalf to retain betters? Yeah, um, it's been really interesting looking at how that has played out in the States versus other markets. I think more so than anywhere in the world, operators have really lent in from a content perspective in the US. And similarly, media has lent into betting as well. Um, but I think in terms of what the operators, they, they see the role that quality content can play in terms of both acquiring new users, but retaining them and engaging them and getting them to continue betting. Um, I guess the, the challenge that we, we see is that operators will always struggle to have an independent voice because ultimately as a better I'm betting against the book so do I want the the insights and the uh, you know the, the handicappers and the picks from um, from the book or do I want them from an independent source and I think that's where the likes of ourselves plus many others um, think think that we have an edge versus where operators might be providing the content but having said that I think the the breadth of programming that they are providing and also some of the, the marquee names that they um, that, that they have on their products is is a clear sign that they they see the value that content is bringing to to acquiring and engaging the audiences Obviously, like the type of content you're providing is to potentially provide an edge, but the partners you're going to be working with are the operators, right? So it's it's just a little arm's length, not completely, but just a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think ultimately, if you're, if you're advertising, there's different ways of, um, you know, it, it, it's no different really to a display, a display advertising or a above the line advertising. Um, but the, the the challenge or the the difference would be that if you take a a brand such as Pixwise, we we know that we have very high intent, um, highly engaged betting customers, and therefore they're very valuable to bookmakers. Um, 
but in, in terms of what we provide in terms of the content, it, it's our own in-house view on what the best bets are, what the insights are. It's not influenced by, um, you know, by the books per se. Um, so I think that that's where the independence comes from. Are you working in the fantasy space? I, I heard you say stuff about free-to-play gaming as well that's out there. Can you take me through the role of those two things in this kind of new atmosphere with legalized sports gambling? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, we, we acquired a business, um, Alarm Sports Network, about 12 months ago, which owns Fantasy Alarm um, and works with a number of um, nationwide media properties powering their fantasy products. So um, we work with the likes of um, Fade the Noise and provide some of the technology for uh, Fantasy Life um, to use some of the you know the, the tools and the data that we have to help facilitate their users to you know both season long and DFS um, to help pick their lineups. So yeah, we we have a consumer facing brand in Fantasy Alarm, but also provide provide those tools and that content to publishers and, and the media as well. And I think the role that Fancy plays, similar to free-to-play, is that it, it can help um, acquire a broader audience, either when states aren't legalised from a sports betting perspective, but are potentially from Fancy, and they're, they're highly qualified um, from a betting perspective. But also they help um, more broadly to engage users people may bet once a week once a month um you know just super bowl and march madness but if they're playing dfs regularly it, it's it's a um it's a consistent touch point that you can have and and if if the end goal is to get people to bet yeah. um, then it gives you multiple opportunities to to speak to those customers i wanted to see if you had any kind of thoughts on where that is right now i know that that's the thought process we could use free-to-play gaming DFS or fantasy football or fantasy sports could potentially kind of lead to customers in legalized sports gambling. Um, from what you've seen so far, um, what's that crossover look like? Is it as robust as the operators thought it would be? Yeah, I, I think more so. I mean, uh, I don't have specific numbers for hand, but having um, you know read and, and listened to the various uh, investor presentations for the likes of FanDuel and DraftKings, they said they've been pleasantly surprised. Um, I think the the early dominance that the two of them had um, from a market share perspective speaks to that as well. Um, their ability to directly um, sell to or, or you know cross cross promote the betting propositions as states go live to their existing DFS DFS audiences has definitely given them given them a head start and advantage. Um, and, and we see it through um, Fancy Alarm as a as a property. That's a, it's a subscription based product, um, so highly qualified in terms of people who are uh, invested in playing both season long and and DFS. And the, um, the the sports betting affiliation that that we see through that is is really strong as well. So it's something that post acquisition we we've, we've used our affiliate expertise to bring into that side of. Um, that business and uh, it's seen strong growth yeah all right two broad questions and i'll let you go one um obviously some gambling information is being incorporated into um the actual broadcasts of the games now slowly but surely it is happening um what is your viewpoint of what will happen on the literal broadcast five ten years from now it's, it's, it's a 
that's a challenging question. Uh, I, I think the key is that broadcasters are able to serve up betting-related, you know, content insights to those who want it, but don't shove it down everyone's throat. And I think that that's always going to be a challenge. Um, what what you've seen is you know, secondary um, OTC streams that are specifically focused on betting rather than going down the linear route. I think there, there may be um, continued subtle or subtler references in terms of, you know, the, the odds of a specific golfer um, winning going down the 17th or going down the 18th and, and what that implies in terms of percentages. But um, I, I wouldn't foresee a world where it is all over um, every single linear broadcast from a sports perspective. I think if you look in markets that are more mature, that are, uh, are facing um, pressure from a regulatory point of view, some of them may have gone a bit too far down that route. And and, and I think, well, I, I would like to think, and I hope that US operators and US regulators will learn for that and learn from that and, and get the balance right. Okay. All right. Last thing. Um, as you work with uh, publishers around specifically in America where things are changing kind of rapidly, um, what's the hole in the content? Like wh- where do you see that's not being served that you and your group seek to serve over the next two, three, five years? So I, I, think, I think at the moment, the whole content space and the published landscape is very much focused on the first phase of the funnel. So how do we acquire customers? Because that, that's how the commercial models are generally, they, they reflect that. And, and at the moment, the race for market share from an operator perspective reflects that as well. I think the the challenge that publishers will face and the, the hole and the gap that we look to fill is how you can actually retain um, those users and make them more valuable, either more valuable to, to the publishers themselves or more valuable to the sports books. And therefore, you're being... Um, rewarded um, commensurately. So how, how do you not just focus on signing a player up, but actually keeping them coming back, you know, again and again throughout the season and then as you, as you look forward to the season after? Harry Von Baer is the Managing Director and the U.S. CEO of Spotlight Sports Group. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. On the next Futures Board podcast, building a full metaverse for sports fans that has touch points that younger fans want. Yeah, so our main question was, when we started this, how do we gamify sports fans? Like, that's the, that's the ultimate question that we want to try to solve. Because we know that people, uh, Gen Z's love games. So how do we take that aspect and overlay that on top of traditional sports or anything in general? Um, because I think that, our hypothesis is that that's the way to get to uh, the next generation of fans. That's Kevin Kim, CEO and co-founder of Stadium Live, where a digital playground is being built. That will do it for this episode. As always, the future is now. This is the Futures Board Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein.